0: This is Aaron from the Touchy Subjects Podcast. This is the first episode of our new Touchy Subjects Takeover series, where we have different guests take over the show and discuss topics that have a special meaning to them. This episode is hosted by Lex Smith, a trauma informed consultant and survivor of human trafficking, and Rebecca Bender, CEO of the Rebecca Bender Initiative and founder of Elevate Academy. As we are discussing human trafficking on this episode, please be advised. That some of this content may be difficult to hear, and we here on the Touchy Subjects podcast encourage you to care for your safety and well being. January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Please check out Let's Talk Touchy Subjects on Instagram or the Touchy Subjects Community Group on Facebook for more information on how you can get involved. Hope you enjoy the show.
1: Right. I'm so excited um, to be uh, back on the podcast and I brought a friend with me, a dear friend from the anti-trafficking movement, Rebecca Bender. I'm so excited. This is going to be really fun. We're longtime friends, so... Yeah, so I'd love for you just to share a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now and most excited about in 2022 before we dive into talking a little bit about human trafficking and, you know, it being Human Trafficking Awareness Month.
2: Yeah, man, that's a big question. What am I excited about now and tell me about, tell you about, tell me, tell you about me. (laughs) Tell the listeners, Um, I'm a survivor of human trafficking. That's how most people know me. I tell pretty outspoken about my story, um, was trafficked by a a young man I thought was my boyfriend. Turned out he wasn't. He was, you know, it was completely fraudulent situation. Um, But I didn't really know I was being trafficked. And so my soapbox over the last, gosh, almost 14 years has been really about um, sensationalism fueling misidentification, both in communities, in professional capacities where people are interacting with victims and don't know it. And then also for the the victims themselves before, during their victimization, of course, you wouldn't refer to someone today as a victim if they're in it, but I mean, if they've gotten out, but you know what I mean? Like when you're in the middle of it, you don't even sometimes know that you're being trafficked. And so that's what I've kind of spent my last, um, over, like I said, over a decade of my life, kind of raising awareness and sounding the alarm. And, um, I, i am a CEO and founder of Elevate Academy. It's the largest online school in the world for survivors of human trafficking. We try to help survivors get job ready after escape. And, and I train law enforcement on how to um, identify and respond and work cases. And that's a lot of fun. So that's kind of a little bit of, of my career kind of component as it pertains to this work. What I'm excited the most about in 2022, though, I would say, Lex, is I am going to, I'm doing a lot of holding a lot of space to rethink how I think about things. And I'm really committed to like journaling the journey of growth and being okay to change the way we think about things along our paths, right? Like I've spent time thinking one thing because I was told that. And, and maybe now that I'm able to spend some time wrestling in it and reviewing more evidence and just really being open to hear, like, maybe I think differently now. And, and I'm, Want to be able to hold space for that for others to, like, grow as you get older? Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do is to grow? Right. Yeah, we're all mad when they're like, well, that's not what they used to think. You're like, no, it's not. I've actually changed. There's an idea.
1: <laughs> right. It's like, hmm, maybe I should be thinking and living differently from 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50. You know, like, if we're yep. not evolving, ooh, like, it's probably a problem. Totally. and. I want to share that through Elevate is actually how Rebecca and I met. I was part of her very first group of survivors. I had the honor of doing that. And it was such a huge thing for me to uh, meet other survivors of a trauma that I had never met anyone else that had gone through it. So you kind of had this feeling of like, no one really understands me, feeling very alien. And... It was such a huge thing for me and we've just stayed really close ever since. And she's been an incredible mentor and friend in my life. And I just love everything that she's continued to do and grow with Elevate. And if you're looking for something to maybe contribute to or donate to during the month of human trafficking awareness, um, that's a really great one to consider because they don't charge any of the survivors uh, to go through the program, which is, You know, it's huge. There's a lot of barriers when it comes to exiting trafficking and recovery. And that's, you know, really what we wanted to dive into today, especially in the subject of, um, you know, faith and faith-based programs, because there are many of them. When someone is trying to exit trafficking, it almost feels like a requirement. You, like, have to become a person of faith if you aren't. And Rebecca, I know you have a lot of experience in that. That was, you know, kind of how you, you got out was through a, a faith-based program. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear, you know, your thoughts on uh, those and what, you know, might not be so helpful when it comes to having so many faith-based options.
2: Yeah, this is such a fun topic. We're <laughs> going to just jump right in. Um, you know, I was I was not raised in a faith-based home. I had a praying grandma and praying aunties that, you know, would take me to Sunday school if I stayed the night with them. But, like, I wasn't raised in, in church at all. And I, um, I actually didn't want to go to a faith-based program when I was trying to escape. And I was really running—I was really— trying to find a rehab. I was completely strung out, um, addict by 21. And my mom had taken my daughter from me until I, quote unquote, turned my life around. And so I was just looking for a rehab. I was going to do 30 days, get sober, get my kid back and get back in the game. That was my plan. <laughs> and, um, I had had some really scary experiences in my first 18 months of being in the life. Um, obviously, as an addict, There's a whole nother layer there um, of just finding myself, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning, walking through streets, trying to, you know, get my next bag of dope or whatever it was, like just putting myself at risk um, because that's what I was using to cope. But I also had been almost strangled to death by a buyer. And that was probably one of the most pivotal moments for me in my life where I was um, in a hotel room literally being strangled and I couldn't fight back anymore. Like I had tried, but he was so much bigger than me. And I can just remember like my hands and arms starting to go limp and, um, starting to, my vision started to go blurry and I started seeing yellow stars and I thought this is it. Like my baby's not going to have a mama is what kind of went through my mind and leading for my life, but I could barely get it out. And then I had this really shaky feeling and he let go and I ran out of the room. And later on, I go into this rehab. There's only one rehab open. It was a faith-based rehab. And um, I was like, man, go into this church rehab. These people I like, got a clue. I was like, what saying. I was like, oh hell no, I got this church rehab. Like, I was gonna get my baby. I'm going 30 days, get my baby back, I'm out. And um yeah. I didn't know this was a rehab for like former gang members, former drug addicts, and people in prostitution and um you know, it was just, it ended up being the, the coolest place of people that I had ever met. And and still, Pastor Joe today is, had been one of my best mentors of my life. And um, I just didn't, it was different. It was different. It wasn't focused on human trafficking at all. It was just a lot of gang members and drug addicts trying to turn their life around. And it was in those moments that you kind of wrestled with the idea of like, why did I not die that day? And when you've had some of these like near-death experiences It does make you really question spirituality in general, right? Like, is there a power greater than ourselves? And, and where are we going with that? And I'm, I'm really grateful that I had a home that allowed me to wrestle with some of those really like big questions when you have, when you faced and you've, you're at your rock bottom and you've lost everything. Like, there's nothing else to do. And so I was, Mm -hmm. I was told what those, you know, like, I felt like it was a, different than I think most people's experiences maybe with the church, the big C church have been. Um, you know, I went to Crib Walk in the church. I, we, were, we had that La Victoria and Old English on our <laughs> shirts. I, they did hydraulics in the Impala up to the, like that's how we, up to the theater right. we used for the church. Like that's how I knew, that's how I learned. You could get caught in the Holy Ghost. You throw the blanket over the lady and put up your finger. Like that's how I got saved. So I, I didn't know any other way. And so then when no. I started learning, there were all these other like faith-based groups or faith-based orgs that had all mm-hmm. these really strict requirements to entry and no option of choice and will only give you f- food if you say the sinner's prayer. I was so like, wait, wow, what? Is, Whoa. That, that It was such a different... Um, it was just I felt really shocked to learn that it's yes. like big C church out there that was so different than the experience I had had, and really heartbroken that, and I also didn't want to be like lumped into the crazy. So it was. Right. It's been a really interesting journey for me of like, no, that's not how we we don't we don't grow like that,
1: <laughs> right? I think yeah, both of us have seen a lot of coercion, honestly. <laughs> like faith coercion when it comes to like survivors just you know trying to get help and people you know saying that they're doing the will of god and they're helping you know others and all this stuff but you know biblically speaking Jesus never had any barriers to people coming to him and receiving anything he never you know required someone to say something or do a particular thing in order to get What they needed. So it's very bizarre whenever we run across organizations and churches that have a lot of these, you know? And I think probably a question that a lot of them, you know, have is there's this priority, obviously, for salvation. Um, And should that be the number one thing?
2: it's it's such an interesting discussion especially when you're thinking along the lines of like Christian ethics and um it just like as a topic of like is getting saved our number one goal all the time and and I I'll be honest that there's times that I have wrestled with like when we, we, we hear these cliche sayings like we'll just plant seeds and water them sister you know and I'm like (laughs) <laughs> but are you like actually really okay, just planting love and moving on? Like, do you have to proselytize yeah. and uh, like, it feels so forced. It feels so disingenuine. It right. feels like if, can't you just, when did you get crowned Holy Spirit and the badge and the, like, as I didn't get that. <laughs> I'm just right. people and let them, let them, you know, like, I don't know. I also think from a, from a trauma informed perspective, like choice is paramount when it comes to trauma-informed care. And so if we're dealing, uh, if we're working within within a setting that really values trauma-informed care, then like you have mm-hmm. to give people choice. You can't mandate religion for treatment. It's just, yeah. it's talking to me sometimes to see organizations that do that. Um,
0: yeah, and, and I think
1: heartbreaking. Think we both know too that like, there's definitely a spiritual component to healing and to recovery Um, but spirituality isn't just this one way, this one, you know, execution of what that looks like and, and how you heal those, those parts of you. Um, I've gotten to a place, you know, in my own healing where I feel that healing is very intuitive. And I think that God really put that in us to know what we individualistically need and it's not going to look the same for every person. It's not going to be the same Bible study or mentor group or prayer or meditation or whatever that is. But there's, I've found there's a lot of rigidity, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of faith-based, um, you know, programs or even just churches that, that want to reach out and want to do something even you know, for those experiencing domestic violence in in a community or are trying to get off of, um, you know, substances and stuff like that, there is a very strict, okay, here's step one, two, three, four, five, and you have to do it this way. Um, And I know you experienced that. So as someone that has gone through a program that's like, you know, was kind of specific in that way, what was that like? You. Well, I mean, it's hard to compare,
2: right? Because my, my, my program was a rehab, like it was, it was a drug yeah. rehab. And so obviously um when we're talking about fighting human trafficking, that's a very different, very different way that you would want to provide best practice to people uh, escaping human trafficking and the capture bonding and trauma bonding and Stockholm syndrome and PTS. Like it's very, di- it's very different than substance abuse, right? Like there's, yeah. Sometimes you can struggle, obviously, with substance abuse when you're in exploitation. But um, I just want to validate the program because like, I didn't feel um, like I ha- it, it was different than normal church. And yet there were very strict requirements. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd walk in single file lines. I mm-hmm. had to make my bed. Uh, I had five minutes in the shower. It was very much like boot camp. Um, and maybe I needed boot camp you know, I don't know, like maybe I was in a place in my life where I had just been wilding out for so long that I needed a little bit of structure and I needed a parent to come in and like, give me rules like, Hey, no, this is how it works. And, and maybe I did it. I mean, I went right back to my pimp. So maybe I didn't no. really <laughs> but, uh, I'll tell you what, I've been sober ever since. So there's that. Um, so it's really hard. Like it's hard to tell like what worked, what didn't yeah. want, you know? And, and I think to your point too, it's like, Everyone's process is very different. You know, I'm a I'm a creative person. I like I'm a writer. I I write different projects and um, different mediums. I, I'm I have a and I've learned over the last decade about my process a lot more as a creative person than I ever gave it credit for. And some of that was hearing other people's processes, right? Like I listened to yeah. James Patterson, the novelist, on an on an interview, and he talked about his process and how he writes a novel. And I listened to Shonda Rhimes and how she, and I would listen to all these really successful, creative people and their processes were so different that I got really comfortable being okay with what works for me. And if I turned this camera around, you would see literally one, two, three, four, five, six, seven giant post-it dry erase board type things on our wall and and a whole pad on the floor. Like I think in dry erase boards, I think, and post it, And then I will sit at the computer and I will write out what I just mapped all over the wall. And that's the process that works for me. And I, I used to be annoyed by it. I used to think, gosh, why can't I just sit down at the computer and type out an, a chapter? Like, why does my brain work like this? But the more I realize that creative people have a process and the sooner you can figure out your process and, and lean into it and accept it, the better And I think about that in the same way that we all wanna process our trauma in the form of spirituality um, that we're accustomed to and that works for us. And I think like, can we just let people have their process? Can we just Uh let people lean into what works for them? It might not be this specific structure um, that your program has, but like something's gonna work for them. Mm -hmm. And can we do that? Can we lean in? Can we love, can we listen? And can we let people like work their process? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, in light of that, you know what is the role of faith communities when it comes to not just survivors of sex trafficking, but I guess you know anyone recovering from significant trauma? What role should they be playing, and what does that look like?
2: Well, to to I mean, I, I obviously I'm a person of faith. I've written a Bible study. My memoirs faith based, and I my I have my degree is in biblical studies. Um, because I wanted to learn more, like I'm a student and and I'm a teacher, and so as a teacher, you want to learn all the time, right? And I wanted to learn why things were happening the way they were. I questioned things like that. Is that right? Let me read that for myself. <laughs> Let me learn how to do the ex. Let me learn how to do a hermeneutics because I don't know that you're interpreting that right, sir. Um, and so I wanted to just have the right language um, to know for myself and not just hear from someone else. And, right. and so I say all that to say, you know. In the Christian faith, there's such a um, a command to, to help take care of others, right? And to take care of the needy and the poor and the orphan and the widow and and to be the one and the Samaritans, right? Like there's all the things, The good be the good Samaritan. And I think um, if that is the faith that you align with as you step into that, what your role is as a faith community and helping those, I think the role is really to love. I mean, again, it's really about, for me, just loving people and not worrying about what you individually think the sin stick should be. Like, it's just, right. it's, so <laughs> it's just, it's shocking to me when you're like, well, they should. And you're like, Debbie, did you know that you, <laughs> no, okay, <laughs> right. um, just love people, man. And, and the reality for me too, is like God, to me, I can I can remember having these moments where I really struggled with with some with something, and and I was constantly convicted by it. And we all have our mm-hmm. own convictions. Like right. what works for me might not work for you. I, I did an interview with a lady that she you know felt really convicted drinking, and I was like I felt so much freedom in being able to have a glass of wine. I lived in this fear <laughs> that I was going to backslide and become an addict again if I did all night at a wine and it right. was like it was crippling for me. And so me actually having a glass of wine broke this freedom off of me. We're like, oh my God, I didn't backslide. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> and so everyone's convictions are different and what we feel is right or what works for us. It's not the same for everybody. And I think being okay with that is really important as a person of faith, knowing that like your convictions aren't gonna be the same as other people's convictions and your walk is different than their walk. And mm-hmm. and I remember when I was struggling and I was like, so frustrated with myself, like, why do I just keep doing this over and over? And like, why can't I figure this out? And why do I have this habitual behavior that I'm I'm ashamed of and I, I want to break in my life? I can just remember having this aha moment where I felt like God, Holy Spirit, whatever I identify that voice as was just kind of like, you don't, literally I, f- I felt the words pop in my head you don't think that I know the way your brain works better than you. Like you don't think I right. know the right. psychology and the neurology and the trauma that you've been through has caused yep. you to have this behavior. You don't think yep. I know that better than you. And I'm not mad at you. Like I'm right. walking with you and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proud of you for identifying. You don't want to keep having that character habit, but mm-hmm. like stop beating yourself up. Cause you've had all these other things that got you there. And it was yep. this, it was a freeing moment to feel like I I've lived through a lot of I've lived through a lot of shit. Can I say shit on this? Yeah, girl. Okay. I've lived <laughs> through a lot of shit, man. And like I I can't expect to come out of it and not have a few character
1: hang-ups, right? Like it's right. Really sick. Yeah. No, it's I think that is the crazy pressure that comes with faith communities and you know I was raised in one my whole life. So a little bit different than you in that I was very much indoctrinated early, right away, baptized age age of seven, you know, like grew up um with all of it. And there's this pressure to like have it together or like if you don't, you're supposed to, you know, come forward or or do a program or a Bible study and it's like gonna solve it all. Right. (laughs) Girl, I'm like 12 years in, (laughs) (laughs) we're 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 still working on it. And it, you know, it's not going to go. There's certain things that are just afflictions. I think we uniquely live with because of our experience. And it's an area of like self mercy and grace that we have to navigate constantly um, and so I think that that element, you know, when it comes to faith communities, just being conscientious of making sure that you're not putting this crazy pressure on people to like hurry up and heal. You know, I feel like that—that's what it feels like to me. It's like hurry up and heal. You so we can have a success story and have a testimony. You know, <laughs> it's like fundraiser. for my fundraiser. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I do feel like there's this, like, bibbity bobbity boo say the prayer, and it will all go away. And you're like, okay, that didn't work. Now what, (laughs) you know? And I also found that what's fascinating is even – I mean we we're using the phrase faith community in this interview but there are so yeah. many faith traditions within varying religions whether it's episcopal lutheran catholicism protestant evangelical there's so many and i think right. the more we can realize like oh everyone has a faith tradition that's either something they align with most something that speaks to them maybe how they were raised and and it's okay and that's within just the christian faith i mean let alone jewish traditions muslim um manifest like there's so many varying faith communities yep. and then within those communities there's faith traditions it's like yeah we've got to have more grace and empathy for not just ourselves but for others and to realize that it's not going to be this one way you do one thing you do this formula this magic formula and you will be healed and it's like it feels mm-hmm. like it's just not how it works and so i know that faith communities have a role in in how they want to proceed to help others and serve others and love others and and be um be there to to help people walk through the hardest times and we're commanded to do that as as varying may or may not feel, but I think more than anything, we've, we've got to have love and we've got to have love and we've got to have patience and we have to have grace and we have to have empathy um, because not everyone is going to have the same faith tradition, even within the same religion,
1: you know? Right, right, exactly. And um, I think it'd be interesting to talk about, I know there, this podcast is, is kind of for For everyone, you know, there's a lot of people deconstructing that um, follow this podcast. And there's a lot of people um, that are still, you know, committed to their church and faith that want to know how to support those that are deconstructing and have a lot of questions um, and that have been hurt by the church. And I think an area where people get hurt and kind of applies to the topic that we're talking about is this lack of preparedness when something happens, when someone comes forward with something, or it's discovered that something is going on. Mm-hmm. And shocker, not to us, but to many, that there are lots of families that look pristine, leave it to be for families, and they are trafficking their children. And they're, they're going to your church. How do you identify those people? How do you Like, what are the small things that you can pick up on in their kids? Or you have a a teenager that starts coming to your youth group and they disclose to a leader, hey, I got kicked out of my house and I've been living with my boyfriend and, you know, he's kind of making me go to these parties and I, I really don't want to, but I don't have anywhere else to go. You know, how are you prepared to respond to that? And what is the proper response in those situations what is your responsibility as a church as a leader in the community and as um, you know someone that's like representing overall a larger you know faith or like big C church
2: I mean I think no matter what th- there's a responsibility and I mean two things one one would be like well there should be, most churches are are have varying um, policies around mandated reporting, right? And so, figuring out if you're going to step into leadership in a church community, um, asking some of those questions around like, what is your training on um, awareness on child sexual abuse? What's your training on um, how to come forward? Can, do you have policy handbooks? Like, we can't just negate what what should take place in a state because it's a faith community. Like it doesn't make that go away. It doesn't, relieve us from any training, any certification, any leadership oversight. I mean, if anything, Mm -hmm. as a leader, that would be the one that someone goes to at a youth group or as a pastor or lay pastor, it should be our responsibility to make sure that we have wise counsel, that we've gotten the certifications, that we've done all the things we need to do to make sure it's a safe space for people, especially knowing that predators target churches um, Mm -hmm. because most don't have some of those things in place. And so you're trying to sneak in under the radar as volunteers or support systems. And um, the church hasn't always gotten a lot of training in how to do that. In, in I think in recent years, it's definitely pivoted. And I've seen a lot more churches that have, you know, reached out to get, not to us, but to varying places to get certifications and trainings. But um, right. I mean, I do think it's the church's responsibility. If you have someone in leadership that you need to make sure that they know what to do if something like that comes forward. Um, and these are professional trainings. They're not just you know, ask your friend, Joe, what they think you should do if someone comes forward. Like, you know, like there's, there's wise counsel for a reason. You have to be a person of integrity. You have to protect, you know, be a good steward of what's been given to you in the leadership. You can use all the biblical, you know, responses if you want to. It's the right thing to do to make sure that you've been adequately trained for the position you're in. It's just that. Right. That's yeah, simple. And at Absolutely. the end of the day, like people's lives are at stake for it. And so we can't dismiss the importance of it. Um, Childhood abuse radically changes people's lives. Um, And so you, we can't just, uh, you know, think that'll never happen to us or it won't come up like, no, it, it's happening in the church. There's a lot in the, ch- you know, like it's everywhere mm-hmm. and, and churches are targeted. So you have to be even better at, at being that gatekeeper, seeking wise counsel, being, you know, Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Like, again, you can find all the scripture to do the right Right. thing.
1: Yeah. One of the biggest things I always talk about whenever I meet with any, you know, faith communities is being prepared, being ready for uh, the student that comes in and says, hey, I've got this situation going on. I've been kicked out of my house or, hey, I have a friend that's couch surfing and there's some things going on. I don't know how to help them or, you know, a child that, you know, you just sense that there's there's something going on there because those senses tell you a lot. You don't have to have all the details to take action. And I just remember there being a lot of adults that would look at me and it's like they, I could see in their head, they're like, you're not okay. I can tell something's wrong, but no one had the guts to actually ask yeah. <laughs> or, or ask my family. And The thing is, is you don't have to have the answers to be an advocate for someone. And if they would have done that, my story could be very, very different. But even though they never asked, I did end up going to my youth pastor and saying the best words I had, which was that I was being molested, which was very minimal to what was happening, which is also very common for a lot of kids and survivors to do is to trickle a very small amount of information just to see how you can handle it. Unfortunately, they did not handle it well and their jaws like hit the floor. They were speechless and they were like, uh, you have to tell your mom. Hmm. And that was, that was as far as a response went. There was never a follow-up like, hey, you, you shared some really heavy information last week. You know, can Can we meet with you once a week? None of that. There was a counseling offer to my family. It was just kind of like I dropped a bomb, it went off, and everything that all of my abusers and traffickers said came true that no one would care, that I did not matter, and I would not be believed. And the response confirmed that because people just weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. So, having that training, you know, actually getting training on how to respond, and even in the moment, just saying, you know, I am so sorry that this happened, you know, expressing that I believe you is such a huge thing for survivors, Um, because when you respond in ambivalence or just that shock, you know, that first shock of like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know what to say or yeah. this kid's family, they, they come from such a good family. There's no way that this could, you know, happen. Whatever your follow-up question, doubt, whatever, that's very natural to happen. It does not need to come out of your mouth. <laughs> you just need to say, I'm so sorry that happened. I want to help you and, you know, figure out a plan from there. But you need to be prepared before that happens. Otherwise, you will end up. Saying the wrong thing, being disconfirming, getting stuck in shock, and not taking the proper action. So if the proper actions would have happened, there's people that would be in jail today that are not.
2: Yeah. And you'd have a lot more reconciliation with your own identity, right? Like, because we're friends, I know that, like, not being validated for anybody, let alone if we weren't even friends, right? Not being validated when you come forward with abuse is like one of the number one factors that really crushes your, um, like your soul. And so as the spiritual leaders, like you should be getting trained on how to respond. And for anyone that's listening, that's also thinking, you know, around human trafficking, I think what's so important to realize is that there's, there's such this spectrum of exploitation that takes place with young people and whether it's childhood exploitation, teenage exploitation, adult exploitation, where someone's over 18, buyers that are you know, in your congregation that have purchased sex for sale from people online, porn is no longer enough. I heard uh, a speaker once say, I had to start, a a former buyer say, I started to have, I started having to buy porn with skin on was how he described the slope from porn to buy, to buying. And so it's like, there's all of this mix within potentially, um, Not only the people under (laughs) the roof of the (laughs) building church, but when we're going out into the communities, whether it's the church that's serving foster communities, um, marginalized people groups, um, substance abuse, mental health, like trafficking isn't this isolated crime that's over here that we're going to go help trafficked victims. like. Mm -hmm. No, it's all in the mix of everything we're doing every day with nonprofits you're working with now, with underserved populations now, it's racial justice, it's poverty, it's, it's fighting poverty, it's fighting homelessness, like it's all of it, it's supporting single moms, it's looking, and the more we can learn about the issue, the more we have the mandate to step in and like serve people and love them and meet a need and, and be there, um, and to know that you're probably also working through your own childhood traumas at the same time. Right. It's going to be the place where you're going to find healing by helping someone else. Like know that you come with your own biases and your own trauma and, uh, you know, like live life while you're healing too and help others while you're healing too, but recognize that it's there. That would be my other recommendation. That's a side note.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I think... Right. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a bit of like a savior complex that I see a lot more when it comes to faith-based orgs or ministries going out into communities. And with that also comes a massive amount of burnout because they really feel like people's lives are like literally on my shoulders and Mm -hmm. no one can live that way. Like you're not going to be able to really make a difference if, you're really taking on a bunch of other people's lives, feeling like if I save them, then maybe it'll save a part of me too.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to check your motivation. Like, why am I really doing this? It doesn't have to be something that you want to, you know, no one's asking you to post on your Instagram by any means, but like take a minute to really think through like, why am I really doing this? Like, what's more, is it, because my friends are doing it. And and if some of that's true, then like, okay, that's fine. Jump in and help be with your friends and go do something fun. I read, you you know, that's, but like, if it's cause I want to look good, I want to heal myself. I want to, you know, <laughs> lean into community narcissism. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No one would actually admit that, <laughs> but like, like really, really, really comb through your motivations and be really be willing to be real with yourself around like, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I stepping in and why do I feel really the need to help fight trafficking specifically? And do I really understand like intersectionalities and vulnerabilities and barriers? And, um, and if not, then like, how can you start learning? How can you get training? How can you lean in, read a book, watch a documentary, take an e-course, show up at a symposium, listen to a panel, Listen to survivors, read survive. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much that we can do to really um, make sure that we know. It. Like, we're really investing that we're not just checking something off the box because it's trending right now. Um, that would be something that I would recommend. Because at the end of the day, like these are our lives. You know, like I think yeah. back to being in the church as a single mom with a four-year-old little girl, struggling with addiction, really wanting to go back to my pimp because I loved him so much, mm-hmm. and. I just want people to know, like these are, like these are our lives. This isn't a game. Wow. This isn't something funny. Like these are our lives, and we want help. We need help. We want you to step in. But we're, you know, like we need to be serious about the the real reality of of coming mm-hmm. alongside as a true ally and helping support mm-hmm. um, survivors of trafficking.
1: Yeah, it's a long haul. It's a long haul, and it's well beyond. <laughs> I feel like there's, I'm sure you have a list of things that people have said to you that now looking back, it's like, wow, that's kind of disturbing. Like the amount of random men that have said, oh, I just want to adopt you as my daughter. Like, consider me your dad. I'm like, ah, that's, that's weird. (laughs) I, you know, I stop I I stop remembering
2: some of them because it's, at the end of the day, people don't know what to say either, too, right? Like sometimes yeah. people are moved; they're they're emotional. I know there's been times in my life where I've heard or been in front of of something, and, and it's really like, wow, that was really powerful. And I fumble something stupid out of my mouth, and I'm embarrassed later. And I mean, you, you know, you get in the car, and you're like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? <laughs> and I I just want to believe the best, I guess, for people, and I want to think yeah. like, okay, I hope that they're regretting that or they're driving home, you know. And I just kind of trouble <laughs> a lot of that. Now, if you do it more than once, now we're going to be talking about a different conversation. But I always usually try to give like the one time out, like, okay, uh, you were caught up in emotions. You didn't know what to say. But there have been organizations that have continually done really harmful work um, in the name of faith to people that, you know, are the communities that, that we want to serve. And um, as much as you talk to them, as much as you set up meetings, as much as you give them a training, as much as you try to go to them in love and and say, "Hey, this isn't how it works." Um, then, when they keep doing it, it's definitely um, like game over for me. I don't. Usually work
1: yeah. With like that. Yeah.
0: <sighs> I think it's so I, hard.
1: Yeah, the metric to look at is always. The people you're serving and you have to have their feedback to know, are we doing a good job? Are we, or are we hurting people in some ways or are there ways that we can be better Um, rather than it being about the way it looks or the way it presents or the way it makes us feel? If that's really what it's about and what gets prioritized, then you're not really there for them. You're there for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a huge problem, yeah. obviously. Yeah, there's so many ways. I mean, I can remember once having
2: a, a mentor of mine say to me, you know, Rebecca, you cannot be so arrogant that in you're expecting people to become experts in, in they, they've come to one event and in 30 days, they're the expert and they know all the things that, that you've spent over a decade learning. And, right, right. That really, that really hit me because I thought, you know what, how am I giving people enough time to learn? Like, I want them to come to the event. I want them to come to the symposium. We just said the call to action. Come learn from survivors, read the book, watch the documentary, enjoy the symposium. Right. And then are we being inviting and gracious enough to let them learn on their their journey at what point? Do you know what I mean? Like So there's this yeah. balance too for us in the field to be like, come, learn, grow, and then love them too while people are like learning and growing too. Um, yeah, And letting them sit through some of these questions of like, well, what am I here for me or am I here for them? And what is my motivation? And being okay with them wrestling with that and, and mm-hmm. in their own journaling time or with their own mentors. Um, but I think this is why some of these conversations are really important is so people can start kind of sorting through this as they grow into a space that they're, feeling compelled or drawn to that they can use these as like check engine lights to know like, am I going in the right direction? Do I need to stop? Do I need to rethink? Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to have the conversations and I don't want to discourage anyone too, from like, it's okay to step in, you're moved, learn. We want you here. We need your help. We need everybody. Um, but these are great things to just keep checking on your, on your journey. Um, towards fighting trafficking is like, am I doing this well? Am I doing this with choice? Am I doing this with love? Am I doing this with intention? Am I doing this with the right motivation? Um, because these are people, these are real people. Um, am I getting the training? Am I getting certified? Am I volunteering in the right places? Am I seeking wise counsel? Am I putting wisdom around me? Like all these things we want
1: you to wrestle with and um, mm-hmm. keep learning yeah. about the issue, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. So we've mentioned a couple of ways people can learn and get educated. And I have to mention that you put together a phenomenal, you know, kind of training online symposium called Trafficking Truths. You launched last year. So mm-hmm. I want to encourage people to go to Rebecca's page and make sure that you check that out. Thank um, you. Do you have any other trainings, you know? Yeah, find your way live online that people can come check out?
2: Yeah, Find Your Lane is another e-course we have that's a really good one. It helps you to figure out how to fight. It helps you to identify the 10 ways to fight human trafficking. And then what lane each, what? I'm getting totally tongue tied. Which, um, how to get involved in each lane. (laughs) And if you're kind of like, am I called a policy? Intervention, restoration, demand reduction. There's actually so many ways to fight trafficking. Fighting trafficking as a whole sounds like this really big giant elephant that's hard to eat. And so we just broke it down into 10 specific categories and then help you to figure out which one you're really the most passionate about and then how to get started in that lane specifically. So that one's a really good one. Um, Trafficking Truths is all about breaking some of the myths that are rampant and are country in our culture right now um and so especially in a lot of faith communities we're seeing a lot more uptick in the um hoaxes and so i would really highly recommend that one's free find your lanes 19 bucks it comes with a great downloadable resource guide that gives you a ton of other anti-trafficking organizations in each lane um so we really try to break it down for you
1: so both of those are online and available and thanks for thanks for the shameless plug Yeah, of course. And she also wrote an incredible memoir of her story. If you want to hear more of Rebecca's story, uh, there's also tons of survivors that have written books. So literally just go to Amazon (laughs) and do do a little search. If you look up Rebecca Bender, her book will come up and it'll automatically start suggesting other survivors and their incredible memoirs that they've written. Uh, There's lots of documentaries out there that you can check out as well. We also have
2: a resource page on our website. If you go to rebeccabender.org and click the button that says resources, we list all of these in categories. We list survivor books and we have t- over a dozen listed. We have documentaries over a dozen and they're all hyperlinks out, easy for you to access. So go check out the resources. It's not just pointing you to my stuff. We wanted to share all the stuff that we know about that's out there. That's really good. We did not put anything on there that's really bad, just so
0: you know.
1: We are only about the high quality goods over here, so all that has been vetted. And I hope that you'll check it out. And do remember, if you want to make a contribution during Human Trafficking Awareness Month, keep Rebecca's program, Elevate Academy, in mind and give them a follow on Instagram. They're always posting really inspirational stuff. And even if you know you haven't experienced sex trafficking, but you've experienced any sort of exploitation or domestic violence. definitely, you know, check it out could easily be a resource for you or just a space of encouragement because they sh- we share a lot of stories over there and um, constantly encouraging, you know, people to dream and move beyond, you know, what happened to them and not be completely defined by their past. And that's something that I love. Rebecca has championed. She's championed me to do really well. And she's such a great example of that
2: oh you're so sweet thank you thanks for sharing that with everyone
0: thanks to Lex and Rebecca for sharing their stories and experiences with us and thank you out there listening for joining us on this special episode of the touchy subjects podcast for more information on how you can contribute to the elevate academy or for more resources on human trafficking Check out our socials. You can follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Touchy Subjects and join our Facebook group, the Touchy Subjects Community. You can also support us on our Buy Me a Coffee page and all donations made in the month of January will be sent to the Elevate Academy. As always, if you love the show, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that we can continue to bring you episodes that you love. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a great day.